Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. It's good to have several of you here in the room, and it's good to have you joining us online. Thank you for being with us today. We like to begin with this greeting that uh, we've been using forever. It seems like the Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you. We do believe that the Lord is present with us as we gather together to worship him. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we do bless your name. Lord, you are the name above all names worthy of all of our praise and we thank you this morning lord for bringing us together we thank you this morning for your mercies that have been new every day this week every day this month every day this year lord it's been a year boy has it been a year lord (laughs) but i thank you for each and every mercy each and every moment of grace that you've extended to all of us here all of us who are watching lord all the people that we love Lord, through the trials, the difficulties, through the losses, and through the stuff, you have remained faithful. And I thank you, Father, for that. Lord, and for this Lenten season that we're in the midst of, thank you for the reminder of what it is that you came to do that was redeem and reconcile. I thank you, Father, for that fact. And Lord, I just pray that as we go through the remainder of this service, that, Father, you would open our ears, open our hearts to hear what it is you would have us here, to to learn what it is you would have us to learn, Lord, that your spirit would be um, very real as we listen and we take in the word that you've given for today for each and every one of us. Father, we can't thank you enough. We can't praise you enough, but we're certainly going to do the best we can. We give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the blessing. In your name, amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you, Pastor Judy. Hey, um, invite all of you, uh, that whether you're watching online or in the room, you can go to livinghope.info slash connect and fill out that little digital connect card. Of course, if you're here in the room with us, you could grab one of the little green cards back there by the offering box and just drop it in there uh, before you go. Share with us how we can pray for you, a comment that you have, a question that you have, anything like that. Uh, it's a great way just for you to connect with us so we can connect with you. So please, uh, make use of that. And uh, many of you have done that already. Thank you. And uh, many of you also have been making use of that uh, online giving uh, option at livinghope.info slash give. And... Uh, And of course, those of us in the room can drop it in the box, but all of us who are watching online, uh, we give online. I I mean, I'm in the room, but I give online too. So, um, and I think many of you have been, like two thirds of the folks that give now to the church give online. Um, We kind of had to for a while there, didn't we? If you wanted to be given anything. So uh, thank you for your generous continued support of the church. Um, If you missed last week's annual meeting uh, and you want a copy of the church budget for the coming year, just ask, we'll be happy to give that to you. Uh, We try to be responsible with the dollars that you and I that all of us together give for mission here and around the world. And so if you want to know where that money goes, we'd be happy to share that with you. Um, and thank you to all of you who are joining us uh, online during the, during the week, uh, each day, with that little uh, daily prayer thing. Um, it's, a, it's kind of fun. Um, it's work, but it's kind of fun to have that little moment of, uh, I know I can't be with you praying because it's like recorded and all of that. And uh, some of you do join me on Zoom then later on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons to, to pray and to talk, uh, which is fun. But, uh, but I've heard several of you mention, somebody's like, yeah, I listen to it in my car on the way to school. And somebody else is like, yeah, I, I catch it in the afternoon. And, and uh, as long as you're finding it helpful, we'll keep trying to make that happen. Um, so anyway, that's another option for you as we're trying to stay connected during this disconnected time. Um, 
I feel like there was something else I was going to say. Maybe it was just about that annual meeting last week. Oh, as we continue this journey of Lent toward Easter on April 4th, if you did not get a copy of that Sacred Invitation devotional book, we have like four more out there on the table in the foyer. Feel free to grab one. Or if you're watching online and you never were able to get one and you didn't go buy the Kindle version off Amazon or something uh, and you would like that, just let us know and we'd be happy to make sure that that gets to you. All right. Uh, Today, the passages that we've been given... um, they kind of get at a question that is pretty central to the Christian faith. Uh, and it comes up at the end of Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at Mark chapter 5, the first 20 verses. Uh, an interesting, weird story. Uh, but, but it comes right on the heels of a story that is a little bit more well-known, where Jesus is in a boat with his disciples, and he falls asleep. And then there's this giant storm, right? And the disciples are freaking out. They think they're going to die. They wake Jesus up. Don't you care? What's going on here? And Jesus stands up. Uh, well, I, I put this, uh, I think, on the screen, maybe. Yeah. He awoke, rebuked the wind, said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And the disciples, their response, they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? I mean, they're following him. You know, they're, they're trusting him. They're learning from him. They're his disciples, but they still are grappling with, Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus from Nazareth that, you know, not only does he heal people, not only does he command unclean spirits to to be gone, but he can command, like, the wind and the weight. Who is this? That's a pretty central question that we have to grapple with, right? I mean, especially for those of us who want to be Christians, it's like, okay, so who is this Christ? Who is this Jesus that I'm following, that I would check the box next to, uh, you know, the Christian thing? If somebody asks, like, what's your, what's your faith? What do, you, what do you believe? I'm like, oh, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Okay, great. What do you believe about him? Who is this Jesus that you say that you trust, that you say that you follow? Uh, somebody knows in the story that we're about to read, and it's an unusual character, uh, Jesus, as we are probably familiar, uh, was a Jewish man living a couple thousand years ago there in uh, Israel, and his disciples, all Jews, his ministry primarily was to the people of Israel, the, to the Jewish people who had had a long history with God and a long history with some ups and some downs and some good and some bad, and Jesus comes to be the, the true Israelite, the one who fully, finally makes good on all of God's promises, what God was going to do for the people of Israel and through the people of Israel to bless the whole world. And to today's passage, we see Jesus extending beyond the boundaries of Israel and encountering someone that well, his disciples probably would have had some pretty serious problems with. It says, Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes, uh, which I don't know where the Gerasenes are or anything, unless I look at a little Bible map. It's basically just outside of Israel. This is a, a Greco-Roman area, the Decapolis, the Ten Cities. This was part of that. So there was this region All these non-Jews, all these people who did things Jews didn't do, you know, who didn't worship their God, who worshiped other gods, who, uh, you know, the Jews, none of them would eat pork or anything like that. Well, these guys loved bacon, as we'll see in just a minute. It's a whole herd of uh, pigs in this story, right? And so these are people that ordinarily Jesus and his disciples wouldn't have had much to do with. But Jesus needs to be there. He, there's a point to his, his excursion. So as soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. So evidently there's a graveyard nearby. This man lived among the tombs, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He had been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day in the tombs and the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stones. This is... 
not the kind of welcoming party you want to see running toward you when you first land in the strand. You know, the disciples are already freaked out. They just survived a storm. Who is this man that can command the wind and the waves? Now they're landing in this kind of foreign area, and they're already a little uneasy. And here is somebody who like embodies everything that they dislike, everything that they are afraid of. You know, I mean, he, he lives among the tombs, and like being around dead bodies is a no-no for Israelites. You're not supposed to touch a dead body or you become ceremonially unclean. You can't go worship at the temple. Uh, same thing for like cutting yourself. Here's a guy who cuts himself, and they've been instructed, you don't cut yourselves for the dead. It was one of the things that apparently some of their neighbors did like as part of their religion. And so God had warned his people long ago, yeah, you don't, you don't do that kind of thing. He's, uh, and he's possessed by an evil spirit. He comes running what is it? When he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and knelt down before him, shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded him, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He responded, Legion is my name, because we are many. They pleaded with Jesus not to send them out of that region. Now, I don't know if I don't know if you're like me, but I'm already, I'm like hearing him say that in like this evil voice, right? Right straight out of the horror movies. Um, you know, I'm not going to imitate it. Sorry, I was about to. I better not. Um, and it's making me think of this great FX series called Legion. Anyway, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> mutants and all this. Anyway, uh, so here is this person possessed by this unclean spirit, these demons, apparently a legion of demons, which legion meant something to them back then because they lived under Roman rule. And that was, that's how the Romans organized their troops, right? So to say there are a legion, that's like, oh, there's like a whole like, military detachment here you know there's like hundred thousands I, I was reading about it it's like somewhere between three and six thousand soldiers made up a typical legion and and so this guy is like full of demons apparently and here he's just been running at them and he's kneeling at Jesus' feet recognizing him as the son of the most high god the demons know who jesus is and they're terrified they pleaded with jesus not to send them out of the region out of that region, a large, I don't know why that is, I have no, no idea. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. Send us into the pigs, they begged. Let us go into the pigs. That's a weird one, all right. Uh, Jesus gave them permission. Uh, no, what I've read, last time I was preaching on this many moons ago, uh, I was doing a little more study, and, and there was some thought that like, okay, if a demon is forced to leave a person, then they go to the abyss. They go to this deep, dark hole where demons have to go and wait until their final judgment or something like that. And these demons are terrified that that's going to happen to them. And they don't want to do that. They don't want to have to leave this region. They're comfortable there. And they're like, well, who else can you send us to? You're not going to put us in your disciples? There's pigs, please, send us in those pigs, right? And pigs are already considered unclean animals by the Jews, and so it would be fitting that the demons would have to go reside in pigs. Maybe they already thought pigs were demon-possessed. I don't know. It's like we think of cats, you know. And, um, sorry, just me? Is that just me that thinks of cats that way? I am so sorry. All the cat lovers right now. I, I apologize, Diane, Deb, all of you who love your cats. I'm just teasing. Uh, that was a joke for Stacy's sake. Anyway, all right, she's allergic to cats. And they steal your breath. But um, so these pigs, the demons say, send us into the pigs. And Jesus, uh, what does he say? Jesus gave them permission. So the unclean spirits left the man and went into the pigs. Safe, right? No. Then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. So apparently the demons end up in the abyss anyway. They end up down in the deep dark hole of the lake, of the abyss, uh, where they didn't want to go. Those who tended the pigs ran away. 
And I would too, wouldn't you? I mean, you're already tending pigs not too far from the spooky graveyard where the, the crazy guy lives who howls and cuts himself and nobody can keep under control. And now you've just seen him having this encounter with Jesus and who knows what this all looks like from the outside. And now the pigs you were just watching all go nutso and run down the cliff and down into the, into the lake and die. Of course they took off, right? The people tending the pigs ran away, told the story in the city and in the countryside. Like, they went everywhere telling the story. Um, this would be, you know, that's what, all they could do back then. They couldn't have videoed it and shared it and all of that. So they spread the word the only way they could. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who used to be demon-possessed. They saw the very man who had been filled with many demons sitting there, fully dressed. So apparently he wasn't before. I don't remember. Did he say that? Anyway. Now he's fully dressed and completely sane, and they were filled with awe. It's the same word that was used earlier for the disciples after Jesus does the thing with the wind and the waves. They're filled with awe. Those who had actually seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man told the others about the pigs. Then they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. I don't know if they thought, you know, oh, he's a Jew, he hates pigs, he's going to destroy all our pigs. I don't know what they thought, but they wanted him out of there. So while he was climbing into the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along as one of his disciples. But Jesus wouldn't allow it. Go home to your own people, Jesus said, and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. The man went away and began to proclaim in the ten cities all that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. This is, a, this is an amazing story. Frankly, I mean, it's the kind of thing that uh, it, it's kind of disconnected from our daily reality for most of us. You know, I don't, most of us don't have encounters with spiritual beings and, and like casting unclean spirits out, especially into pigs, which then commit suicide or whatever. It's a weird story, right? Um, but I know that just mentioning this and mentioning demons and, and the spookiness of the whole thing has got some of you, maybe some of you, uh, nervous right now and thinking, yeah, I've seen those movies. I know what these demons are like, and, and they kind of terrify me. You know, and you're kind of anxious about that. You're, like, your anxiety level's risen just because this is part of the topic today. Because you wonder, like, could that happen to me? Do I have to be careful? I used a Ouija board one time in middle school. Am I in trouble now? Um, you know, there was somebody doing tarot cards, and I was curious. And, I, I, you know, am I, have I opened myself up to some unclean influence or something? Are there demons that are, that are haunting me? Um, you hear the strange sounds in your house at night, and you wonder. Um, <clears throat> Let me just say, you do not have to be afraid. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be afraid about some demon, even many demons. That's kind of the point of this story, right? Jesus is in charge. He can command the wind and the waves. He can command the unclean spirits and just, pff, they leave. And the man is totally well. He's whole. He's sane. All right? If you have something that you feel like, oh, man, this is something demonic. This is something evil that is oppressing me. Get some help, right? Call on Jesus. Call on some Christian friends, a pastor, somebody to, to pray with you because Jesus is, what, what is it? I don't have this on the screen, but what's the scripture says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, right? I mean, that's this idea that the one who lives in you, God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is, you know, there's no competition between him and the devil or demons or unclean spirits. It's not like this is an evil, play, even playing field and we don't know who, who might win someday. No, this is the God of the universe versus some little, you know, pig spirit, okay? You don't have to be afraid of demons. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't, uh, well, I'm thinking of the passage from 1 Corinthians 6 
Uh, that was one of the other passages given to us today, where the Apostle Paul is kind of pleading with these folks to live a life that honors God and, uh, and reminds them that they are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that God's Holy Spirit lives in us. Uh, but he starts the passage in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Uh, he's, he's confronting some of the things they've been saying. You know, Paul's been trying to instruct them on how to live, and they're saying, well, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And he goes back and forth with them a while uh, over several different things they're saying. And they, there was a, a group of people in his day that they thought because uh, they thought the way they thought of it was that like, well, our bodies are just bodies. What really matters is your spirit. And as long as your spirit has been made pure, has been made right with God, one day we're going to leave these bodies. We're just going to kind of float out of them and our pure spirit's going to be with God. And so it doesn't really matter what happens to our bodies. And so I can do whatever I want with this body. It doesn't really impact my spirit. And so as you, if you read that passage, there are all kinds of sexual things that they were doing and thought they were just fine because, like, you know, that doesn't touch us spiritually. And Paul's like, wait, 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 wait. No, you guys are misunderstanding this, this whole thing. You know, like, like just because God has forgiven you and guess God, is, God is gracious and all this doesn't mean you can just go do whatever you want. doesn't mean you can just, you know, have the right to do whatever I feel like. Like, look, some things are beneficial and some things aren't. Some things will master you. You can get yourself involved in a, in a behavior, in a habit that you won't be able to let go of. You know, it'll get its claws in you or its chains on you. And, and some of you have dealt with that, trying to let go of some addiction or something, um, where it's like, I don't know how to get rid of this thing. He's saying, look, not everything is good, <laughs> so let's be careful. And, he's, and he says there, at the end of the passage, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we don't need to be afraid of demons like attacking us or inhabiting us or possessing us or whatever. The Holy Spirit lives within us, but that still carries with it a, a huge responsibility. Like we need to honor God as temples of his Holy Spirit. We need to live our lives in such a way that, um, that it reflects God's goodness and God's holiness and, and his love and his grace. Um, this, um, like, there's a part of me that just reads this story from Mark's gospel as, like, just what it is. Like, okay, here's an encounter between Jesus and one man and these demons, and it tells us, you know, just how much more powerful Jesus is than unclean spirits, than the demons, you know, even a whole legion, which maybe there's a little bit of, like, uh, and Jesus is more powerful than the Romans, you know, tossed in here as well. Um, you know, he's issuing commands to these, which is apparently the same word they would use for commanding troops. The, the pigs rush down the cliff into the lake. It was the same language used for, like, soldiers rushing into battle. Um, so there's a little bit of, maybe the language is being used, maybe Mark's kind of thinking, like, yeah, you guys are afraid of those unclean Romans, those soldiers that are doing us damage. You don't have to be afraid of them either. You know, Jesus is Lord of all. If he can command the wind and the waves, if he can command the demons, you don't have to worry about what the Romans do to you either. Maybe there's some of that going on in the background, but there's a part of me that wants to just read it as, you know, just it shows us Jesus is more powerful, we can trust Jesus, we don't need to be afraid of demons, that kind of a thing. But then there's the other part of me that recognizes that we, like I want to kind of draw an analogy, you know, like, you know to the lives that we live, that, that so many times um, we can find ourselves stuck in circumstances, you know, where evil is a part of our life and maybe even has been dominating us, maybe we find ourselves trapped, not sure how to get out of it, or maybe we've just been... When was it? We were talking about being deceived. See, I keep mixing up what I've said on Sundays and what I've said in those daily prayer videos. Um, that, that sin is deceitful, and we can think that we're doing just fine, and in fact, we're not. You know, we are damaged beyond what we know. You know, we have wounds that we have been putting Band-Aids on, thinking, you know, everything's going to be fine. And really, 
God wants to do some deeper healing in us than we have allowed him to do. And, uh, and I see some of that reflected in, in Jeremiah's passage, Jeremiah chapter 6, um, where the prophet Jeremiah has been sent to the people of Israel to, to warn them, basically. It's like, look, you guys have been doing wrong, and, and destruction is coming. The consequences of your disobedience are on the way. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, cut down the trees and build siege ramps against Jerusalem. This city must be punished. It is filled with oppression. As a well pours out its water, so she pours out her wickedness. Violence and destruction resound in her. Her sickness and wounds are ever before me. Jesus is looking at the, at the city, which represents the people. You know, he's not talking about like bricks and mortar. He's talking about the people saying, you guys are violent and destructive. You're, you're wounding people around you and you yourselves are sick and wounded. And I see it and I want to heal it, but you won't let me. You won't come to me and say, what, what have you to do with me, Jesus? Is there something that you want to do in my life? Is there something that needs healed, something that needs changed? He says, take warning, Jerusalem, or I will turn away from you and make your land desolate so no one can live in it. A couple of verses later, the, the prophet Jeremiah says, to whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. Uh, reminds me a little bit of uh, last week's message. This was last week, right? Talked about the sower and the seeds. Was that, was that Sunday morning, I think? Um, I don't see people nodding, so you don't remember what I talked about last week anyway. All right. I'm pretty sure it was last Sunday. Talked about the, the, you know, the parable Jesus told about the farmer that sows the seed and some of it lands on the path and you know, doesn't sink in. Some of it lands on shallow soil, some in the weeds. Some, some actually falls on good soil and produces a good crop, right? And uh, Jesus explains this, like this is how the word encounters us. And some of us, he's saying, Jeremiah is saying, the people I'm talking to, their ears are closed. They're all hard path. No one is interested in hearing the word of the Lord. I encouraged us last week, let's, let's take this time, this season of Lent, this season that leads us to Easter. Let's take this time. Maybe you're going to fast and make some room in your, in your life, in your schedule, in your desires to, to, to want to hear from God, to, to, to make time to listen to God, to spend time with his word, to hear what he's saying through it. Um, Let's use this season to allow God's word to sink in and to make a difference. Let's unstop our ears. Let's take out the headbuds, you know, or whatever. Headbuds? Earbuds, that's what I was trying to say. Headphones and earbuds. Whatever you stick in your ears to listen to music. Let's take those out, right? Let's listen for what God wants to say to us. He's saying their ears are closed so they cannot hear. They've got the noise cancellation thing going, right? They cannot hear what I'm trying to say. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. Which frankly speaks to us much of the time, doesn't it? I mean, if God is trying to say something to us that actually means I have to change, I mean, I'm used to living like the people that Paul was talking to. I have the right to do anything. You can't tell me what to do, right? I mean, these are my rights. I've got the right. I get to determine for me what's right and what's wrong. That's how we live. That's how we're brought up here in the United States of America. And so when God says something different to us, when God says, no, 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 you're not in charge. You don't have the right to do anything. I'm in charge, and I need you to do this. Hmm. Something in us bristles at that. Something pushes back against that. When God says that's, that self-sufficiency is a sign of your brokenness, that, that desire to run your own show, that's a, that's, a, that's a symptom of sin. There's something in us that says, hmm, hmm, no, what, what are you talking about? And we, we put our fingers in our ears and we start singing, I'm proud to be an American or something. You know, we, we, we want to do our own thing. We don't want to be led by God. We don't want to have some other king 
The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. And so a couple verses later, uh, again, these are the words of, of God. It says, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. Now, it's pointing to people like me and these professional religious folks, right? Practicing deceit because I know I can get paid for it. And, and if I say what God wants me to say, then they might not, you know, keep paying me, I think is what he's saying here. At least that's what I hear as a pastor, right? They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. In Jeremiah's day, what the people of Israel needed to hear was, you are wounded. You need, to, you need surgery. You don't need a Band-Aid. You don't need someone saying, oh, no, no, everything's fine. Peace, peace. Everything's good. You need someone to tell you the truth, to tell you, that, look, no, there's serious brokenness happening here. There are serious wounds that you're carrying with you. There's serious violence that you've been doing, and God isn't pleased with that. These enemies that you know are, are kind of coming over the horizon, you can't sit back and say, ah, we have the temple. God is with us. You know, they're not going to be able to hurt us. It's like, hmm, no, no, you've been disobeying God. You've not been listening to God. You've been outright disobeying God and the consequences of that are coming and saying you need people that will tell you the truth instead of listening to these people who say, ah, everything's fine. Peace, peace. All you need is a Band-Aid. Now, just as a parent, I'll admit, all right, there are plenty of times my boys fall down, get hurt, and, uh, and start to, you know, cry and wail or whatever. Um, and there's lots of times my first thing is, oh, hey, hey, buddy, you're fine, you're fine. And then you see it and like, fine but i'm not gonna say that out loud you know because i don't want to freak out more there's a lot of blood here okay we're gonna be you're gonna be fine buddy you know we were always trying to put the the best face on an injury or something like that but if we do that as like full-blown adults right if we only listen to people who tell us oh you're good you know who hear what we are thinking about doing who hear you know the way that we're living and say like oh yeah no that's fine look out for number one right oh you gotta have fun Oh, come on, it's the weekend. You know, who say whatever it is that they say that helps us justify the bad decisions that we're making. These decisions that are destructive to us, to the people around us, to the rest of the world, the planet. When they say peace, peace, and the reality is there is no peace. When they dress the wound as though it were not serious, when they put a Band-Aid on a break, that doesn't really help us. Sometimes... We need to take a good hard look at ourselves and recognize, no, that, and, and Lent is a season for this, right? This self-reflection. We need to take a look at ourselves and, and with God's help and, and admit, okay, God, you are right. That is not just some little thing. That thing that I've been okay with, that thing that I've just been minimizing and telling myself is no big deal. And I've got these things too, all right? And I'm talking to myself right now. As, as I'm preaching, as I'm talking, I've, God is bringing to mind some things in my life, all right? That maybe I've been minimizing and saying is not a big deal. And I'm having to work right now as I'm talking to like not push that away, but say, okay, God, I'm listening. Okay, I've been putting a Band-Aid on that, but you're saying it's a deeper wound. And I, I need like stitches. I need surgery. It's a break. I need, it needs to be reset. This might be some pain involved. We need to be willing to fall on our knees before him and say, Jesus, son of the most high God, what, what have you to do with me, Jesus? What, what do you want to do with me? What do you see in me that needs to change? Help me. We, we need Jesus to step in and speak forcefully and powerfully to bring real change to our lives, to help us to, to be whole and sane and not deceived, not thinking we're fine, but to be 
truly fine, to be okay again. We need Jesus to speak words of peace because when Jesus stands up and says peace, remember, I'm, this is where my brain is going back. So Jeremiah is saying there are people saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. And I'm thinking back to that story of Jesus in the boat with the disciples. Where there is no peace, there's all kinds of storm raging, but when Jesus stands up and says peace, he's still, he brings peace to the situation. Here is this unclean person where by every Jewish standard, like, you should have nothing to do with this guy. You should keep your distance or you will be unclean. Because that was kind of the idea that, like, uncleanness spreads, you know, and it infects you. And so you don't touch that or eat that or do those things because that will impact you. Jesus steps right into that situation, and Jesus doesn't become unclean, right? Jesus purifies what has been unclean. This is the power of God making things, making people holy, transforming the world around him. And so we don't need to listen to people say, you're fine the way you are. We need to listen to Jesus. We need to come to him and let him make us <laughs> fine. We need to let him bring us peace to end that war within us between what we know to be right and what, we, you know, what we're willing to settle for. We need to come. We need him to come into our lives and truly bring peace to those troubled, roiling thoughts in our minds, in our hearts. We need him to come and make things right, to finally help us to, to remove the evil from our lives and let it, let it go down the cliff and, and fall in the lake or whatever it needs to do, right? Let him transform us and make us well and give us peace. If we'll do this, then we have not only a transformed life ourselves, but then we are able to be used by God in amazing ways in the world, uh, just like this man was, right? What did it say at the end of the story? Um, I don't know if I might have mixed this up with what's on the screen. Um, well, no, what do I have up there? I think uh, it says they came to Jesus, saw the man. Do I have that in there somewhere? Saw the man who used to be demon-possessed. They saw the very man who'd been filled with the many demons sitting there, fully dressed, completely sane, and they were filled with awe. His change of life made an impression on the people around him. Said so the man went away and began to proclaim in the ten cities all that Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Jesus sent him on a mission and said, Look, your experience with me, now I can use that to help others. I just had somebody uh, from the church uh, email me this last, just a couple days ago. I just caught the email this morning about how God was able to use them on the job, talking with people about, uh, and using their own painful experiences that God had helped them through. I was talking to someone was going through a similar situation and they were able to share how God helped them through. They were able to bring comfort and peace and hope to someone else who was going through difficulties. It's just like folks who, uh, I know I've got Facebook friends, people in our own community, you know, who have, who have beaten an addiction and now are taking that to, to help others to beat those addictions. You know, folks in our church doing that, committing themselves to that kind of work. When God helps you through something, when God transforms your life, like he can, like he wants to, if we'll let, let him, well, then, then God can, can redeem that and use that for the good of others. If we'll be willing <laughs> to be open with what God is doing in us, if we'll be willing to allow God to work through us, we might want to kind of retreat from all that difficulty. You know, I, when, when the man comes to Jesus and says, please let me be one of your disciples, there's, there's part of me that, that hears his heart and is like, man, Jesus, I love you. You've, you've transformed my life. I just want to be close to you. I want to learn everything I can from you. I want to be with you, Jesus. I mean, there's a part of it that I hear that way, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. 
There's this other part of me, and I read that, and I think, he wants to get as far away from everybody who knows him as possible. Right? I mean, Jesus, please, let me go with you. All these people, they know my past. They know my history. They know what I've done. They've been, they've been seeing me for years now out in the tombs, apparently not fully dressed, and, uh, you know, howling and doing all the stuff. I mean, how am I supposed to face these people now? How am I supposed to go? They're not going to accept me. They're not going to trust me. They're not going to, yeah, let me just go with you. It'd be easier. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not what we're going to do. And I kind of picture Jesus saying, like, there are people in your community, people that, who do know you. It's true. And they need hope that their lives can be different. They need to know that they can have help. They need to know what you now know, that Jesus is more powerful than any sin, any evil, any, anything that is destructive to us and to the people around us. Jesus, he can transform us. He can change us. And if he can change me, he can change you. This is the invitation that, uh, that God gives us. <laughs> it's an invitation to, to experience peace ourselves and an invitation to then go and take that, that good news to others. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. God, thank you for these unusual stories in Scripture. Thank you for the ways that... Um, that you are present with us here and now, helping us to realize, for some of us, the, the depth of, of the evil, the sin that we are still dabbling in, the wounds that we carry that we thought were just fine with those band-aids over them, and now you're helping us to see that there's something, there's something deeper there that needs to be dealt with, something that we need to face, something we need to confess, something that we need to change. God, would you help us today to be honest with you, to fall to our knees before you, Lord Jesus, Son of the Most High God. What would you do with us today, Lord Jesus? What kind of healing would you want to bring to us? What kind of change would you like to make in us? What are the ways in which our lives have, maybe on the surface they've looked fine, but underneath it has been it has been crazy. There's been a storm raging, and we need you to finally come and just speak words of peace that will bring peace to us. Help us today, God, to not push you away, to not keep our ears stopped up, to not reject what you want to say to us or do in us, but help us to be open to your voice, to your word, to your spirit, to your grace. Thank you, God, that as we are changed by you, as you make us whole, as you give us the strength and the ability to turn from sin and to turn toward you, you forgive us, and that is beautiful, and we are so glad that the weight of sin and guilt and shame is lifted off of us. God, that is so freeing, and we thank you for that. God, thank you then that you also then, you turn us around right back to the people who need to hear our story, right back to those who need to be encouraged, who need to have hope that their lives can be different too. So help us, God. Help our lives to reflect your transforming grace and love. 
Help us to live in such a way that the people around us can see that, that your spirit lives within us. We're not a people who just look out for ourselves or what we have the right to do, but instead we are people who, who love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and who love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, we confess to you today, God, that is not the way we have lived our lives. Apart from you, not a single one of us have done that. Thank you for the love you've shown us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your grace, your forgiveness. Thank you for the new life that you offer. Thank you, God, that we have the chance to celebrate this sacrament of Holy Communion today. We lift our hearts up to you. We lift our lives up to you. We lift these gifts of bread and juice to you. And, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit's presence, you might be here, that we might encounter you here, our risen Savior, our crucified and risen Savior in your body and blood. Would you provide for us in this sacrament, in this tiny little meal, <laughs> would you provide for us the medicine that we need for our sin-sick souls? We offer you ourselves today, God. And we pray that by your Spirit's transforming work within us, that we might be changed, that we might live in this world as the body of Christ, broken and poured out for the world. So that those wounds of ours that you have healed, that those might still tell a story, that, that our scars might give others hope, that they can survive, that they can that they can find healing, that they can find transformation. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your grand work of redemption. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And, uh, and if you're with us online, you might be preparing the elements as well at this time, gathering together some bread and juice or the closest equivalents. Those of us in the room on the tables there are the little cups uh, that in a, in a moment after we sing, we'll, we'll peel them back and get the bread and get the juice and we'll, we'll, um, we'll celebrate communion together at that time. Um, this is an opportunity for us to experience what we just prayed about. You know, deliver us from evil, we prayed. And uh, that is what God has done in Jesus Christ. He has won that victory at the cross as we prepare for communion. Thank you, God, for the, the victory won for us at the cross. In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we find life. Thank you, again, for this sacrament where bread and juice uh, can remind us so clearly of your grace and how it touches our lives today. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks for it, gave it to his disciples and said, take this, eat it. All of you, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat. After supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you, this, 
is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This seals the new covenant, the new agreement between God and humanity. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and drink. Thank you, God, for the great love that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for meeting us right here, right where we are right now. We do pray, God, that you would deliver us from evil. Forgive our sins and give us the strength by your Holy Spirit alive within us to turn from this self-centered kind of life that we are brought up in, to turn from that to a life centered on you, Lord Jesus. Help us to so receive and so be transformed by your love and grace that as you send us out into the world, we just can't help but share it with the people you send us to. We want to do this, God, with your help. By your Holy Spirit, empowering us and guiding us this week. Thank you. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.